Hello everybody and welcome into episode number 156 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's big Bible questions, there's two of them. What is heaven like now and what is the greatest commandment? So hello friends, happy Tuesday to you. Today we're going to do a rare thing for this pod. We are going to tackle two different questions from two different Bible passages. Now don't panic. Although this might seem to be against the rules for Bible podcasts of this type, I actually looked in the Bible and found that there were, in fact, no rules or commands prohibiting daily Bible podcasts from covering two distinct questions in one day. So that is a relief, as you might imagine. Today's Bible passages include two foci, or focuses. Foci always just sounds so pretentious to me, although I think that's the proper one. Uh, Two foci. Deuteronomy 6, which is focus passage number 1, home of the greatest commandment, Psalms 89, Isaiah 34, and our second focus passage, Revelation chapter 4, which is going to give us a peek into the throne room of heaven. So here's a bit of Bible trivia that should win you a few bar bets. (laughs) Okay, I'm just kidding. I know we shouldn't go to bars or be betting, right? What? are the greatest commandments according to Jesus. Well, fortunately for us, Jesus is asked that question in several passages in Scripture. For instance, Mark 12, 28-34, one of the scribes approached. When he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, Which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God, and no one dared question him any longer. And yes, I do suspect that uh, many of the scribes and Pharisees, of course, had some vaguely British accents, but that wasn't the bar trivia. This is, are either of the first or second greatest commandments, according to Jesus, found in the Ten Commandments? And the astounding, astonishing, surprising answer is no, they're not. Rather, the greatest commandment is in our focus passage today, Deuteronomy 6, and the second greatest commandment is not even in Deuteronomy. It's in Leviticus 19. Now, interestingly, the Old Testament does not come out and tell us that Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19 contain the first and second greatest commandment, but you can sort of tell in Deuteronomy 6 that Moses is leading up to a very important command when he talks about it. So, Let's read our first focus chapter of the day, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. This is the command, the statutes and ordinances the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land you are about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands. I am giving you your son and your grandson and so that you may live a long life. Listen, Israel. Be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would give you a land with large and beautiful cities that you did not build, houses full of every good thing that you did not fill them with, cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of your slavery. Fear the Lord your God, worship him, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow the other gods, the gods of the people around you, for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the Lord your God will become angry with you and obliterate you from the face of the earth. Do not test the Lord your God as you tested him at Massah. Carefully observe the commands of the Lord your God, the decrees and statutes he has commanded you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that you may prosper and so that you may enter and possess the good land the Lord your God swore to give your ancestors by driving out all your enemies before you, as the Lord has said. When your son asks you in the future, what is the meaning of the decrees, statutes, and ordinances that the Lord our God has commanded you, tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. Before our eyes, the Lord inflicted great and devastating signs and wonders on Egypt, on Pharaoh, and on all his household. But he brought us from there in order to lead us in and give us the land that he swore to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to follow all these statutes and to fear the Lord our God for our prosperity always and for our preservation as it is today. Righteousness will be ours if we are careful to follow every one of these commands before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So in Hebrew culture, this passage there at the beginning of Hebrews 6, it's called the Shema. It's from the Hebrew verb Shema, which means listen or hear. You know, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Observant Jews are to pray the Shema daily, and it is often the last words they utter before death. For Christians and Jews, the centerpiece command and understanding of following God is to love him, as we discussed yesterday from Jesus' letter to the church at Laodicea. I appreciate Origen's take on this passage for its simplicity and profundity. Origen was an early church father who lived in the late 100s and early 200s, So he wrote this over 1,700 years ago. He says this, The question asked of Jesus was, What is the greatest command of the law? A question of great worth, which will allow us to explain something of the differences between these commands. For certain commands are very great, but certain others are secondary. Hence, we must look at each right down to the least important of these commands. For if in the baiting of the Pharisees and their asking, what is the greater commandment of the law, Christ had not responded, then we would conclude that one command was no greater than another. However, now, as he responds, he says, Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole soul, and your whole mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. His statement contains something necessary for us to know, since it is the greatest. The others are inferior to it. Now, I'm neither I or Origen are saying the other commandments are unimportant. But when Jesus says something is the most important, 
we don't just merely get to say, well, they're all the same. Well, no, there is a most important commandment. There is a second most important commandment. And the most important commandment is centered around love, love for God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there is a second most important commandment, and it is not first, it's second. And the second most important commandment is to love our neighbor as ourself. And as the Word of God teaches us, one of the ways we love God is by obeying His commandments. So that's important. Um, that means that primary for a Christian is loving God by adoring Him and by obeying His commandment. Secondly, is we love each other, and we mustn't get those out of order. Now, by the way, if you want to learn more about our friend Origin, just go Google Origin's Daring Deed, if you dare. Now, let's talk briefly about what heaven looks like and start by reading Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. After this I looked, says John, and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and there was a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on it. The one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone. A rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the throne sat twenty-four elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. Four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back were around the throne on each side. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around and inside. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Amen. What an active scene in heaven. And praise God, it continues tomorrow in Revelation chapter 5. As we've discussed before on this podcast, but just in case you forget, Jaspers and carnelians are gemstones. They're a deep shade of red, almost blood red. So does that mean that God is red or reddish in color, as in the color of his... Well, I don't know if skin is the right word. Does does God have skin? His, As John says, his appearance is like a jasper or carnelian. Well, I think that means that God is in some ways reddish, which is fascinating as well. There's the remarkable emerald rainbow that we have also discussed before. Now, last night, my wife and I, and actually my son and I, after midnight, we went to the beach. First, my wife and I went, had a date night, then we came home, she went to bed, and then my son and I went out late. And we were walking along the Pacific Ocean in Seaside, which is right next to Monterey, and we saw this large fleet of ships spread out, I don't know, a couple of miles around each other on Monterey Bay in Central California. 
they had the most beautiful green lights out and they glowed like these shimmering beautiful boats on the sea and i'm just telling you it was a it was a postcard like picture it was amazing um and as i looked at it since the green emerald lights were reflecting off of the waves and the, the reason they're green emerald lights are out there is cuz that what they're a squid fleet and they're fishing for squid with those green lights but when I looked at it, it was so shimmering and almost rainbow light. I was totally reminded of this passage in Revelation chapter four. Um, and, and, you know, kind of blew me away. I know it's a thousandth or a ten thousandth as beautiful as what we see in Revelation chapter four, but I've kept thinking about that because of the green color. We also, in, back to Revelation chapter four, we see lots of thrones and lots of brightness as there are lightning strikes and thunder roars coming from the direction of the throne. Hey, honestly, it sounds pretty scary. But in addition, there is a sea of glass there uh, right at the foot of the throne. It's like a transparent sort of glass-like crystal, which is another reason those boats reminded me of heaven last night. Oh, and by the way, this this Sunday, I think I told you guys before, we do a uh, live stream of our church. I pastor a church, uh, Valley Baptist Church, Salinas, California. One of our members, Emily Faramond, we were talking about Revelation because in our church, the sermons are matching up with the Bible readings that we're doing along with the podcast. And we were talking about the, the passage at the very, very beginning of Revelation, Revelation 1, where it says that the voice of Jesus sounds like the voice of many waters or the voice of cascading waters. And I said, it sounds to me like a waterfall or like the waves of the ocean. And Emily, one of our members, she said, you know, is that one of the reasons why I feel so much peace at the ocean? Because it sort of reminds me of Jesus's voice. Well, that's not a necessarily a biblical thing, but that's one of the most profound comments I've heard in a long time. And who knows, maybe there's something to that. Well, finally, back to Revelation 4, there are these remarkable beings called living creatures around the throne, and they have eyes all around them, they have wings, they sound uh, really, really out there. And, and so what are those living creatures? Maybe we'll do a podcast on them at some point. We've already done a book on them. On, I mean, we've already done uh, a discussion of them because I think these living creatures are the same beings as the living creatures of Ezekiel 1. And when we read through Ezekiel 1, we're going to see that those living creatures are actually cherubim. So I think Revelation is telling us that there are cherubim around the throne of heaven, which totally makes sense because in the Old Testament, the cherubim are heavenly guardians of God's throne room. And from time to time, according to the Psalms, God flies around on a cherubim. I don't even know what to make of that, but we will close out our discussion of heaven with some great notes on this passage from Jonathan Edwards, who uh, wrote way back a long time ago. Yes, it's the same guy that wrote Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, probably America's foremost theologian, certainly one of them. And way back in the day, Jonathan Edwards wrote this about Revelation 4. There was a rainbow around the throne in sight like unto an emerald. The rainbow, we know, was appointed of God as a token of his gracious covenant with mankind. God is surrounded with a rainbow, which signifies that as he sits and reigns and manifests himself in his church, he appears as encompassed with mercy. 
as of old, the throne of God in the Holy of Holies, where God manifested himself in the church of Israel, was called the mercy seat. Here there is a rainbow, the sign of God's gracious covenant, round about the throne that he sits on. This rainbow was in sight like an emerald, which is a precious stone of an exceedingly lovely green color, so green that this color appears in nothing else so lively and lovely. This color is a most fit emblem of divine grace. It is a very lively color, not so dull as blue or purple, and yet most easy to the sight, more easy than the more fiery colors of yellow and red. It is the color of all the grass, herbs, and trees, and growth of the earth, and therefore it fitly denotes life, flourishing, prosperity, and happiness, which are often in Scripture compared to the green and flourishing growth of the earth. As the benign influence of the sun on the face of the earth is shown by this color above all others, so is the grace and benign influence and communication of God fitly represented by this color. This color is the color of joy and gladness. The fields are said to shout for joy and also to sing by their appearing in a cheerful green. As the color red is made use of to signify God's revenging justice in Zechariah 1.8 and elsewhere, so is green the emblem of divine grace. As Dr. Doddridge observes, this doesn't imply that the rainbow had no other color, but that the proportion of green was greater than ordinary. What an incredible sight that must have been for John to see. Let's keep reading. Psalm chapter 89, verse 1. A maskeel of Ethran the Ezraite, which is one of my favorite names in the Bible. Ethan the Ezraite. I will sing about the Lord's faithful love forever. I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations with my mouth. For I will declare, faithful love is built up forever. You establish your faithfulness in the heavens. The Lord said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn an oath to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build up your throne for all generations. Selah. Lord, the heavens praise your wonders, your faithfulness also, and the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can compare with the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? God is greatly feared in the council of the holy ones, more awe-inspiring than all who surround him. Lord God of armies, who is strong like you, Lord? Your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule the raging sea. When its waves surge, you still them. You crushed Rahab like one who is slain. You scattered your enemies with your powerful arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and everything in it, you founded them. North and south you created them. Tabor and Hermon shout for joy at your name. You have a mighty arm. Your hand is powerful. Your right hand is lifted high. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Faithful love and truth go before you. Happy are the people who know the joyful shout. Lord, they walk in the light from your face. They rejoice in your name all day long, and they are exalted by your righteousness. For you are their magnificent strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. Surely our shield belongs to the Lord, our King to the Holy One of Israel. You once spoke in a vision to your faithful ones and said, I have granted help to a warrior. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. I have anointed him with my sacred oil. My hand will always be with him and my arm will strengthen him. The enemy will not suppress him. The wicked will not afflict him. I will crush his foes before him and strike and strike those who hate him. My faithfulness and love will be with him, and through my name his horn will be exalted. I will extend his power to the sea and his right hand to the rivers. He will call to me, You are my Father, my God, the rock of my salvation. 
I will also make him my firstborn, greatest of the kings of the earth. I will always preserve my faithful love for him, and my covenant with him will endure. I will establish his line forever, his throne as long as heaven lasts. If his sons abandon my instruction and do not live by my ordinances, if they dishonor my statutes and do not keep my commands, then I will call their rebellion to account with the rod, their iniquity with blows, but I will not withdraw my faithful love from him or betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or change what my lips have said. Once and for all, I have sworn an oath by my holiness. I will not lie to David. His offspring will continue forever. His throne, like the sun before me, like the moon established forever, a faithful witness in the sky, Selah. But you have spurned and rejected him. You've become enraged with your anointed. You have repudiated the covenant with your servant. You've completely dishonored his crown. You've broken down all his walls. You've reduced his fortified cities to ruin. All who pass by plunder him. He has become an object of ridicule to his neighbors. You've lifted high the right hand of his foes. You've made all his enemies rejoice. You've also turned back his sharp sword and have not let him stand in battle. You have made his splendor cease and have overturned his throne. You have shortened the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame, Selah. How long, Lord? Will you hide forever? Will your anger keep burning like fire? Remember how short my life is. Have you created everyone for nothing? What courageous person can live and never see death? Who can save himself from the power of Sheol? Selah. Lord, where are the former acts of your faithful love that you swore to David in your faithfulness? Remember, Lord, the ridicule against your servants. In my heart I carry abuse from all the peoples. How your enemies have ridiculed, Lord, how they have ridiculed every step of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Isaiah chapter 34. You nations, come here and listen. You peoples, pay attention. Let the earth and all that fills it hear the world and all that comes from it. The Lord is angry with all the nations, furious with all their armies. He will set them apart for destruction, giving them over to slaughter. Their slain will be thrown out and the stench of their corpses will rise. The mountains will flow with their blood. All the stars in the sky will dissolve. The sky will roll up like a scroll and its stars will all wither as leaves wither on the vine and foliage on the fig tree. When my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens, it will then come down on Edom and on the people I have set apart for destruction. The Lord's sword is covered with blood. It drips with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basrah, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. The wild oxen will be struck down with them, and young bulls with the mighty bulls, their land will be soaked with blood, and their soil will be saturated with fat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a time of paying back Edom for its hostility against Zion. Eden's streams will be turned into pitch, her soil into sulfur, her land will become burning pitch. It will never go out day or night. Its smoke will go up forever. It will be desolate from generation to generation. No one will pass through it forever and ever. Eagle, owls, and herons will possess it. And long-eared owls and ravens will dwell there. The Lord will stretch out a measuring line and a plumb line over her for her destruction and chaos. No nobles will be left to proclaim a king, and all her princes will come to nothing. Her palaces will be overgrown with thorns, her fortified cities with thistles and briars. She will become a dwelling for jackals, an abode for ostriches, 
The desert creatures will meet hyenas, and one wild goat will call to another. Indeed, the night birds will stay there and will find a resting place. Sand partridges will make their nests there. They will lay and hatch their eggs and will gather their broods under their shadows. Indeed, the birds of prey will gather there, each with its mate. Search and read the scroll of the Lord. Not one of them will be missing. None will be lacking its mate, because he has ordered it by my mouth, and he will gather them by his spirit. He has cast a lot for them. His hand allotted their portion with a measuring line. They will possess it forever. They will dwell in it from generation to generation. Dear friends, may the word of the Lord lift you up. May you be blessed and encouraged by his presence and his comfort. Good day to you. Godspeed.